Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you normally from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but now I'm in uh, Washington, D.C., nation's capital. I look forward to being back in New York tomorrow. Meanwhile, we got a, a great hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by Brett Baer in a matter of moments. Rich Lowry of the National Review at the bottom of the hour. Uh, I'm not allowed to go into into Brett Baer's penthouse, which is the corner office. He really has the whole floor. Uh, they just said stay away from that area until Brett comes back and gives you permission. But I was able to go out of his studio, which is which eventually I'm sure will be named after him. Uh, but before we get to Brett, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This has something to do with the Epstein list that came out? <laughs> Feels like it. Feels like <laughs> it's supposed to be coming out soon. A lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't ah! Just having fun. Aaron Rodgers was, ends up being a huge blow up. The Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel feud heats up. Why well, I think it's a bigger deal than just a talk show host and a Hall of Fame quarterback. Number two. Probably Trump's ar- uh, this argument of impeachment first, prosecution later is a dead letter with the panel. I don't believe that the judges agreed that you needed a conviction to ever prosecute a president. That is Jonathan Turley, of course, Trump on trial. Trump believes the Biden White House is behind the indictments. And it looks like there are links emerging in Georgia that links the Georgia a prosecution team to the Biden White House. We'll talk about it. Number one. But I do want to say that, you know, I, I think President Biden historically has been a, a lack of lack of a better word, a elected official. But, you know, Donald Trump is the end of democracy, as we know. How That's are Trump. you losing into the polls to somebody like that? Yeah, Charlemagne the God weighing in doesn't can't quite figure it out. Iowa uh, in five days. New Hampshire in 13. If Trump has his way, he'll lock it all up in 14. But the latest poll shows Haley is closing the gap, if you believe CNN in New Hampshire. We'll have the latest polls, town halls, and Biden bungles. But first, Brett, Hall, Brett Baer uh, has been conducting those town halls with Martha McCallum on Monday and Tuesday. Monday was Nikki Haley. And, of course, Tuesday last night was Governor DeSantis. Tonight at 9 o'clock will be this uh, former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Brett, welcome to your welcome to your bureau. Yeah, welcome to Washington. I saw you in the uh, studio on Instagram. I'm, I, I hope you cleaned up after yourself. I did, uh, but, but okay. man, I forgot you guys redid this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, and then nice, the pandemic right? hit. Yeah, it's a great job. Uh, so, so Brett, you're in New Hampshire. Excuse me, in Iowa, and you've had a chance to sit down with the colleagues time before in the breaks and during. Uh, uh, those two town halls. What are your thoughts first on Nikki Haley? What was the biggest surprise for you, if any? Um, it wasn't really a surprise. I think she, um, you know, made some news, sharpened her elbows against the former president a bit. Uh, you know, really came out against uh, the handling of Secretary Austin and and uh, President Biden. So up at the top, she made news, and then pretty much for the most part hit her marks as far as um, you know what she's been saying. I mean, she. I've noticed in person the stump speech has gotten tighter. Um, she's much better, uh, and in the Q and A is um, really does answer people's questions. Whether she can take over number two in Iowa, don't know. But I do know that that money is making um, 
you know, an impact, and you see a lot of ads. Uh, she has a, a decent organization. But I do think that Governor DeSantis has a bigger organization and has kind of the uh, the traditional Iowa organization, Bob Vanderplatz and and um, you know the the teams that kind of came together to put together the Santorum and Huckabee and um, Cruz wins uh, seem like they're more leaning towards DeSantis. Very interesting because you know you had Chip Roy there, Todd Massey, you know, going out there helping him out on the stump. Uh, Bob Vanderplatz famously endorsed him. He's got the evangelical uh, vote we think in Iowa, and we know it's going to be really cold there. Uh, so. If the cold, they say, could benefit Trump, people are more dedicated, or do you believe that theory? I'm not sure I believe that theory. I, I mean, I, I think it's possible. Um, I think that, you know, first of all, Iowa, Iowans kind of know cold, and so everybody I talk to is like, whatever, you know, this is nothing. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> That's you know, minus feel, six but. is something. I, I think it's a little a little chilly. And, um, I, you know, I, I think the one thing that the former president may have against him is that the polls going in showed him so far ahead that maybe somebody says, oh, everybody else has got it. You know, he's just going to roll. I don't need to go caucus and stand in a firehouse or a schoolhouse. That's the only thing, but I, I think obviously he has the biggest lead we've seen going into a caucus. So, so Brett, how big a deal was it that Governor DeSantis had trouble getting there? Was he a little bit rattled when he arrived? Did it look like he wasn't going to attend? Was that a real worry? That was a real worry. I mean, we it was less about landing in Iowa and more about getting out of Tallahassee because of all the storms down there. And um, he gave a, an emergency uh, declaration for counties down in Florida. He went to FEMA. He put his people in control. And then, you know, they, they were on the tarmac uh, waiting for the go-ahead. They had big gusting winds down there. So it was a real issue whether he was going to get back. Uh, but he did and landed on time. And uh, I didn't see that he was rattled at all. I mean, we talked in between the breaks. Um, and... Besides those protesters getting up, by the way, he he didn't miss a beat. He said this happens all the time at different events, and he just he kind of shrugged it off. I remember I was in Nassau County over the summer, and he showed up for the for a Nassau County event uh, there right on Long Island, and pro uh, pro Trump supporters went after him. And I thought to myself, this is surreal. I mean, Ron DeSantis, Mister Conservative, being. Uh, harassed. It's okay if you don't vote for him. I never thought he was going to be harassed by Trump supporters, but evidently that right. happens quite often. Here is him. Here is last night Governor DeSantis going after Nikki Haley. Cut three. First, I mean, you know, it, it's tough for me to take uh, something from somebody that goes to another state and then says Iowa's votes need to be corrected. Um, you know, I found that to be deeply offensive. I've traveled to all 99 counties. I've met folks here in Iowa. Uh, folks here represent the best of America. They're patriotic, hardworking, God-fearing. That's what we need to engineer a comeback of this country. Uh, so uh, she can swoop in here and try to do that. But what she did was wrong. And we know that Nikki Haley was basically saying you're, you're uh, lying. Uh, was calling saying you was lying because you're losing. That was the line that, that emerged from that and, and some of the attacks. But those two are going at each other pretty hard. They are. And, you know, we're in the final days, so all kinds of ads take – lines out of context or don't finish what they say and then make it look like one thing or another. And both sides do it. Um, 
he has that line about what she said in New Hampshire, and she did say it about you know correcting Iowa. She was asked about that. She said she was just joking, and it's it's fun back and forth. You know, if you're in New Hampshire, they go have things about Iowa. Um, I don't think that that moves the needle that much. I do think that him going to 99 counties and really putting in the time in rural places may make a difference. I will say Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, I think, is going to do the same thing. I'm going out on the trail with him today at a a few stops, and we're going to do an interview that airs tonight on Special Report. Um, And he has seen some uptick here in Iowa, less so in New Hampshire, but here he's seeing a little movement. Wow, this is one time, don't you wish you had a chief correspondent to go do this? It's five degrees out. You're going to go follow around Vivek Ramaswamy? You get stuck in, he got stuck in the snow yesterday, didn't he? He did. He did. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to hop on the bus, you know, do the <laughs> wow. old school okay. stuff and, nice. um, and go to a couple stops. And then we'll, um, we'll air, a, air a big interview on, on uh, Special Report tonight. I, I think it's good to do, just to, to be fair, sure. I wanted to have him uh, have a town hall. Greg Gutfeld, you know, called us out on the five. Um, but we, it was just kind of the scheduling and uh, what was decided uh, above. But I, I thought it was important to get out with him uh, and his campaign here. So I want you to just take a quick look at New Hampshire. I want to get you on, on this Fannie Willis situation. But Trump leads uh, Haley, but it's in single digits. And if you look at this one poll in particular, because of New Hampshire, no one knows better than you. You get a choice if your independence undecided. You you could decide if you want to be in the Democratic uh, primary or the Republican primary, and it seems like because there's no Democratic primary, a lot of them are a lot of the moderates, the undeclared, are going to are registering for Republican to 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 vote in this, and they're going heavily towards Haley. Haley tops Trump by 42 points among moderates, 26 points among undeclareds, 12 points among college graduates. Uh, I know this is somewhat of an outlier. But do you believe this is a seven-point race in New Hampshire? And traditionally, if um, you do, if you do well in Iowa, you can get a little bit of a bump for New Hampshire. Correct? Yeah, you can. And I think that it's it's Haley's best shot. Um, uh, to get a win, uh, to be really close. I do think it might be closing. I talked to people on the ground in uh, in New Hampshire. They they don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. I, I think that the independent Democrat thing is a big deal. It's less so here in Iowa. You've got to you know, re-register and then register to caucus, and when it's minus six degrees, that's a lot of effort for a Democrat to do, but you could. Um, in New Hampshire, it's far easier. It was interesting. Jonathan Martin with New York Times had a piece today where he said Nikki Haley and DeSantis are fighting over the Republican Pino-sipping crowd, while Donald Trump is really uh, in the beer-drinking crowd of the Republican Party, and that's the party part of the party that's expanded. So uh, there's a lot more Pinot sipping in New Hampshire, right. and um, that may be an outlier as far as states are concerned. So for the longest time, the President of the United States says, Joe Biden is trying to uh... Uh, put me in jail rather than run against him. He's he's behind this investigation, the 91 charges, the four indictments. The, this is all about Joe Biden's White House. And you always see people say there's no proof of that. Well, now that might have changed because Mike Roman, who's a, a former Trump uh, official, who's being part of this uh, uh, part of uh, the court case in Georgia against the Trump officials, like 17 people on trial. He has challenged uh, Fannie Willis because he's having a relationship with a with one of the chief's prosecutors. And his name is Nathan Wade. 
Uh, he is somebody that for, was picked out of a suburban – he's a suburban defense lawyer. And he's picked out – a lot of people thought that was unusual. Well, it turns out he gets a lot of money, up to over $600,000, maybe up to a million – to go ahead and do the work for Fannie Willis, who it turns out, according to these allegations, he's having an affair with. And they've gone on vacation together with state funds, according to these allegations. Now, Willis is uh, – now we find out that this guy, Nathan Wade, has billed, has billed the state for two meetings with the uh, Justice Department of the White House and has had two eight-hour meetings there. And the invoices reveal that because he wants to get paid for his time. This is exactly the linkage that Trump was talking about. Does he now have proof? I mean, if these allegations turn out to be true, I think it's a real, real issue and something that goes to the entire line that he's been saying from the beginning. And it's not far-fetched for people to believe that these are all somehow tied together in some way, shape, or form. You know, there's a lot of pushback to that, but... It's not far fetched to you know that you have these cases that suddenly all appear and they all get on the calendar right around the primary and caucus time and they all yeah. are coming to conclusion and that there isn't any collusion on that is you know for t- people to erase that is is kind of tough. So it, it, if this all pans out, it fits uh, Trump's storyline. It's one of the things we'll ask him about. Uh, tonight. I mean, it should be really interesting, this town hall. He obviously hasn't done many of these interactions, and uh, so we're happy he's doing it tonight. I mean, I just love the way the mix of your questions, the follow-up, the facts, but really it's the people asking the questions, which I think the candidate enjoys, too. So your thoughts, can you give an idea of, of your approach tonight? Well, I mean, again, we're going to let Iowa citizens drive a lot of the questioning. Clearly, we're going to uh, deal with news of the day and um, it's it's going to be roughly the same format uh, as the ones you saw. We'll probably not do like the headlines that we do for special report uh, versions, but um, but we're going to use as much time as we can to have interaction. And he, you know, he has had had a lot of rallies, but he hasn't had a lot of that one-on-one interaction um, that I've seen as so far. So uh, excited for that, and you know, I think. You never know what's what's going to happen uh, with the former president, as you know, and uh, it's always it's always interesting. Right, you got the court case thing, which it's easily to get complicated, and you got the challenges there. And then he's looking for a quick knockout to make it inevitable when he does have to go to court that you are sitting, you are actually taking the Democratic nominee and taking him off the trail. If it's a closer race, uh, not only does it hurt him trying to get ahead, but it makes it somewhat murky. But he wants the whole thing to be Joe Biden against Donald Trump. He's bringing me to court because he's got the power. So it's going to be interesting. Nine o'clock tonight, just for an hour, right? Just for an hour. And um, and we're going to use every second. Uh, so, yeah, nine o'clock tonight uh, from Iowa. Same set. And uh, we'll have a lot of people in the crowd and, and they'll be driving a lot of the questions. All right. Good luck on the bus with Vivek. Uh, Brett Bear. thanks so much. You bet. Tonight at 9, and of course, special report too. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1 866 408 7669, and then we'll bring in Rich Lowry. Uh, we've got a lot to go over. I'm going to go into more details about the case I just told you about in Georgia. It is bad, uh, but it is, shows you a lot of the things and worries that Trump had about it are validated. Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We learned during COVID, somehow he knows more about science than scientists. A guy who went to community college, then got into Cal on a football scholarship and didn't graduate. Someone who never spent a minute studying the human body is an expert in the field of immunology. He just put on a, he put on a magic helmet and he, that G made him a genius. It's, Aaron got two A's on his report card. They were both in the word Aaron, okay? And can you imagine that this hamster-brained man thinks he knows what the government is up to? So Jimmy Kimmel uh, is a, a, just an angry guy, uh, thinks he's arrogant. He thinks he knows everything. He's the guy that everybody wants to hang out with. And now he feels like he can have open season on Aaron Rodgers, who, by the way, he had open season on him in 2020 during the pandemic when he goes, listen, I'm not taking the vaccine. We don't know enough about it. I'm not going to put that in my body. I would say that Aaron Rodgers probably smarter than most people you'll meet by almost all accounts, not just on the football field, but as an individual. Never met him. Interviewed him one time when the Packers won the Super Bowl. Um, he wouldn't remember me in a million years. But and he's not a MAGA guy. But what Aaron Rodgers said yesterday, I'm going to bring up after Rich Lowry at 45, so stick around. But he wanted a, Jimmy Kimmel wanted an apology because he said, imagine if Jimmy Kimmel popped up on that list. He wanted to clarify what he said because it was misinterpreted. He did not apologize. And Jimmy Kimmel going after somebody's intellect because they went to junior college, that is so emblematic of Democrats in particular. They are above because he went to, as now I found out, I didn't know this, Arizona State. So he's got to be a lot smarter. A lot of times people don't finish school because they go to combines and they're looking to make a professional career coming out of Berkeley. And one of the great things about Aaron Rodgers' story is even though he could have went to an elite college, nobody wanted him to play quarterback except for his neighbor around the block who happened to be the football coach at a junior college. So despite his grades being through the roof, he did it. And he still didn't get offers, but the tight end did to Berkeley, California. And they said, you got to see my quarterback. They did. The rest is history. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's this stark divide among young voters. Um, on the Israel-Hamas um, war, and they're going to abandon Biden over I don't the other that. thing. I don't believe These that. are just stats. That. It's a generational issue. You have kids that are 18, between 18 and 29, nearly three-quarters of them disapprove of the way this administration... I know, but are they going to vote for Trump who's going to take away 50, their abortion they rights? They important yeah. this issue is Beware that the media. That voting block has lots of issues that they want to address. Beware the media telling us what we're doing. That is so fantastic. Uh, the View, and never, never does giving. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw this clip this morning, and I just want to share it with you. The media has really turned against Joe Biden. Did you know that? They're not propping him up. He walks off the stage fine. You know, he, he speaks very clearly. His interviews, he does plenty of interviews, wonderful press conferences. It's no big deal that they went two weeks without talking to his secretary of defense. Come on, his son is... Uh, leaves a laptop somewhere and he's on crack doing business deals on his dad's name. You know, that that media that does such, such an aggressive job on the Joe Biden family. Rich Lowry is with us. He's problem. With the He's uh, he's part of the good part of the media <laughs> that just gives Joe Biden a hard time. One of the few. Hey, Rich, how do, how do you explain that? Is that the view you think of a lot of people or just the view of the view? 
I think it's the, it's the view of uh, a certain segment of uh, po- political life in, in America that uh, they, they think you know Joe's doing a fine job and is getting treated unfairly, and it's it's so uh, terrible that that people focus on these clips of him looking confused and ex- exaggerated or make it up, and yeah, yeah, they 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 convince themselves of that. So right now we're looking at a situation where the president of the United States, political po- politics aside is presided over probably one of the most egregious derelictions of duty ever. And it is the Secretary of Defense going into surgery, having follow-up intensive care visits, a talk with the president over the weekend, and not telling him until yesterday that he actually has cancer, while never putting somebody in charge when he was in anesthesia, and anesthesia with the Middle East about to explode, the constant challenge of China and everything else being the Secretary of Defense demands. He's got to be fired, am I right? Yeah, of course you are. I mean, if, if if Lloyd Austin had come to you like two weeks ago and said, Brian, you know, on a lark, I'm going to disappear for four days. You say you can't do it. It's impossible. Not in your position. You can try. You know, go ahead. Give it a go. But there's no way it could happen. And it did happen. And, uh, uh, you know, I understand guys are sensitive about, you know, don't want to talk about prostate stuff and prostate cancer. But he, he's not you or me. You know, he, he needed to tell his superiors and his colleagues what was going on. Uh, and he didn't. You know, he's, he's part of the chain of command of launching nuclear strikes. You know, if, if something comes our way, we have to respond. That's a minute. That's you got minutes, right? That's not like days. That's minutes. And you need to know where the Secretary of Defense is, and you can't waste even 30 seconds trying to find out. So it's crazy. And I think this just plays into one of the, the huge things undermining Biden since the Afghan pullout is this just sense of weakness. I think it's hurt us abroad. It's been dangerous abroad. But it's also undermined his standing as, as president here at home. And this would be a moment where you say, you know what? I like Lloyd Austin. I think he's overall done a good job. But this is unacceptable. Sorry, you're gone you know and that would be okay this guy's in charge but uh, of course he'll never do it so he has elective surgery so you think he's going to get a nose job or something or have hammer toe adjusted here's what dr mark siegel said about the term elective surgery which by the way is an insult and this is my this is my civilian analysis it's like saying that a c-section because you mm-hmm. schedule the c-section selective right. surgery one way or another that baby's coming out yep. cut right. 24 they call this an elective procedure, but this is major surgery from the way I'm reading it. Minimally invasive, to me, that implies they use the robot, the Da Vinci robot, which is a huge, huge step forward. So it it's, can be done through two very small incisions, if I'm right, that they use the Da Vinci. And you don't lose a lot of blood, and it's a major, major step forward. And he's probably cured. We, we pray to God that he's cured. But that is not what I would call an elective procedure, even if technically it is, because you don't have to have it emergently. I, people think of nose jobs as elective procedures or something cosmetic. This is elective technically, but I think it's the wrong term to use. And minimally evasive implies it's minor when it actually it shows biotechnological advances that we can now do that. But but you know what it means to me? Not only this guy's a four-star general, whoever, who put him through basic training? Well, can you imagine if somebody underneath him was that irresponsible? Yep. Number two is, how is this functioning, Rich? What kind, of, what kind of White House has a 
has a Secretary of Defense just disappeared, the Pentagon not communicating with the president. I'm thinking, you know, every day they're on some, like, secure Zoom call yeah. where they go, let's just go over the hotspots. I just got, you know, I just got my briefing. This concerns me. You know, what do you think, Lloyd? How do we stand here? Oh, Lloyd's on vacation? No problem. You know, give me your deputy. Oh, the deputy's not available. Give me the chief of staff. The, dep- the chief of staff's got the flu. Okay, no big deal. They didn't even get to that point. So yeah, I mean, in a time in which you think people are making bad decisions, there's a lot of no decisions. Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder how the conversations went, right? Did, did Joe Biden say, uh, give me that guy, you know, the guy, the guy we talked to when we want to bomb stuff. The Secretary of Defense, sir, yeah, 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 him. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll try to get him. And then the aide scurries back, couldn't find him. Okay, we'll try him tomorrow. I mean, it's it's insane. And the, the point you make about no underling would get away with this reminds me very much of the Harvard, the Claudine Gay thing. You're a freshman at Harvard. Try arguing, I just copied these passages, but I didn't steal ideas. You know, I just copied the text. That's not going to work for you. <laughs> And, it, and they tried to make it work for her, you know, because she, she was big and important, supposedly, and prestigious. Same thing here. Your private first class disappears for four days without telling anyone. Boom, you're discharged. That's not even a question. So this is one of the things that just drives people crazy about our institutions, the sense that people who are connected, who are right. powerful, don't have to play by the same rules as the rest of us. And some of that's, you know, inevitable, right? Joe Biden's never going to have to fly commercial while he's president of the United States, and that's under Understandable. But otherwise, something like this, mm. the same standards and the rules should apply to him as everyone else. And again, this would be a way to, for Joe Biden to demonstrate mm. that he's in charge, that he's a strong leader. You know, President Trump might be too fast to fire people, but Joe Biden is definitely too slow. Right. And he has no he has no criteria. I mean, basically, you could do whatever you want. And um, to me, it's, he make not only that it makes his reelection harder to uh, harder to uh, to support. Yeah, no doubt. So. I want you to hear Senator John Barrasso, the latest member of leadership in Congress, to endorse Donald Trump. Cut seven. The country was much better off under President Donald Trump, and Joe Biden continues to fail America. You know, when President Trump was in office, we had the best economy in my lifetime. In most of our lifetime, we had uh, energy independence. Our enemies feared us, and we had a secure border. And now under Joe Biden, we have high prices. We have a wide open border. This What's happened at the border, the surrender at the border has allowed 8 million illegal immigrants into the country. Joe Biden goes and begs our enemies for fuel and energy. This is a disaster. We cannot afford another four years of Joe Biden's failures. And he just believes that it's going to be Trump. We have not even had the caucus yet. It's five days out. Rich Lowry, are you surprised how many people from Steve Steve Scalise on down are falling to line behind the former president? Yeah, it's like he's the presumptive um, nominee already, right? And it's because everyone thinks he's going to win for understandable reasons. And it's also Trump is kind of occupies this, this odd space, very anti-establishment, right? He's, he's always inveighing against uh, the establishment. At the same time, he, he's the establishment candidate in this race, right? He, he's got all the leadership endorsements. You know, Ron DeSantis doesn't. Nikki Haley doesn't. And it, it's just been a very weird and, and kind of boring nomination fight. Not a lot's happened besides the indictments and kind of Ron DeSantis' dissent and a, a little Nikki Haley surge here um, at the end. But I was struck watching the Sunday shows last weekend. You know, that was eight. those shows were eight days before the Iowa caucuses and a contested primary, supposedly. And it was barely talked about, right? It was all Claudine yeah. Gay or who's Trump Veep going to be and how's Elise Stefanik doing in her audition. It's really weird. It is. Uh, and she was on today on Fox and & Friends, and uh, she absolutely wants it. And I think no one totally. really wants it. 
And now we're hearing t- things about Lee Zeldin's being looked at. So I don't know if a vice president – I just think you have to have somebody on like Mike Pence who uh, would have a set of skills set that, that Trump doesn't have, which would be contacts with Congress. And even though the president's got great Republican contacts, maybe they're more familiar with how it works. And number two is somebody's going to be loyal because Trump definitely tests the loyalty because he's so unorthodox, uh, to put it kindly. So when I, you I see single – third thing in there, Brian, if you, if you don't mind. Right. Yeah, th- those two things are important. And then also this is a, a position that requires incredible deafness dealing with Trump himself. And until it, you know, it blew up and ended in tears for Pence at the end, he was incredibly adept uh, at handling Trump, at handling you know, people asking about strange things Trump had, had said. So if you're at least Stefanik, you've got to be a little careful what you're, you're, uh, you're, you're wishing for. Because this, this is a, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. tough spot to be in. It's a great spot, you know. Number two and, and presumptive, you know, heir to the to the Trump coalition in in 28 if he wins or you know in 28 if he doesn't win, um, but it's it's a tricky job. Right. I mean, you are on you are queued up to to be president afterwards or have the Republican nomination, although there are a lot of other people competing with you. So right now, I saw one poll. Suffolk has Trump up by 20 in New Hampshire, but one CNN poll has uh, Nikki Haley within seven. What do your sources say? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, those are wildly divergent results. Obviously, I tend to believe that she's she's gaining more than that Suffolk poll suggests. You know, the, the crowds have have been big. Other polling shows her getting closer. So I, I kind of think New Hampshire's more competitive than that that Suffolk Boston Globe poll shows. Um, but, you know, Iowa, we, we haven't seen, you know, a big media poll or the Des Moines Register poll that everyone banks on. But Morning Consult and Trafalgar out with polls that still have Trump above mm-hmm. 50 and DeSantis and Nikki Haley down, you know, basically tied in, in the, the, the high teens. And if, if the result is anything like that, I don't think DeSantis can stay in the race. All right. Uh, you know, in other words, if, but if he's close, you say he stays. But if he gets hammered, he's you think he's gone because of the fear of getting campaign debt and knowing how bad he's probably going to do in New Hampshire? Yeah, I mean, he's at five now in New Hampshire in, in one of those two polls. I think the other, he was at eight, but other, it's not good. And if he gets uh, slaughtered in, in Iowa, it's going to go lower. And then where does he go from there? You know, is he going to uh, rebound from getting destroyed in New Hampshire to, to winning South Carolina? Totally implausible. No one will be giving him money. And even if he wants to go on, I, I don't think he'll, he'll be able to. Yeah, we'll have to see uh, because we're going to see a debate tonight on CNN. But I think more people will be watching the town hall at nine on our channel because, you know, you don't see much of Trump these days. Mm-hmm. So this will be a chance to, to see him engaged. I never thought I'd say that, but it happens to be the truth. Uh, Rich Lowry, National Review, a place hey. to go during this election year. Thanks so much, Thanks Rich. Thanks so much, Brian. We'll no more in a couple of days. Five days. Absolutely. Fine. Yeah, finally. And then we'll go sprint right over to New Hampshire where hopefully you'll be there, too, because we're going to be on the site. All right. Meanwhile, uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, but I also want to set the table with this Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Kimmel situation. I know you're saying to yourself, I don't watch Jimmy Kimmel. I'm not a Jet fan. But it's really bigger than that. It's two very well-known individuals who were calling each other out. The arrogance of Jimmy Kimmel is clear. And also the, the condescending approach is also evident of that whole Hollywood feeling against us. And in this case, they're actually calling out Aaron Rodgers. We'll explain. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's got something to do with the Epstein list that came out. 
Feels like. <laughs> Feels like. That's supposed to be coming out soon. That's supposed to be coming out soon. Look at this guy. He's been waiting in his wine people. cellar. Yeah. I've been waiting in my wine <laughs> cellar for this thing. <laughs> a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't happen. <laughs> So that was a, a passing comment that Jimmy Kimmel heard and said, I'm going to sue you for doing that. My family's in jeopardy. And he just went off. And then he went on a Monday's monologue rant against Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of his generation, certain Hall of Famer, 40 years old now with the Jets. Now, just so you know, as I mentioned last quarter, uh, the last quarter hour, Aaron Rodgers went to junior college because he wanted to play football. Uh, he, his grades were through the roof in high school. That evidently makes uh, makes him not smart. If you go to junior college, not smart, according to Jimmy Kimmel. And if you don't just take Joe Biden's vaccine, which is really Donald Trump's vaccine, warp speed, uh, got us that, uh, you're a horrible person. And if you don't just tell people because of your privacy, you're even more horrible. And when Aaron Rodgers was called out by Jimmy Kimmel during that time, when Aaron Rodgers found out who his real friends were, when he came out and had the courage to say something almost everyone's saying now, he doesn't forget the people that turned on him and made his life miserable. Who knows how many people um, threatened Aaron Rodgers because he wouldn't get the vaccine. You know how angry people got, right? So Jimmy Kimmel went off on Aaron Rodgers on Monday, and I played that clip before. Here's more from it. Cut 20. I'm not one of those people who thinks athletes and Members of the sports media should stick to talking about sports. I think Aaron Rodgers has the right to express any opinion he wants to. But saying someone is a pedophile is not an opinion, nor is it trash talk. Sorry, Pat McAfee. And as far as the, well, you say things about people all the time argument goes, yes, I do. It's not the same. It's not even close to the same. We say a lot of things on this show. We don't make up lies. In fact, we have a team of people who work very hard to sift through facts and reputable sources before I make a joke. And that's an important distinction, a joke about someone. So he went on, cut 21. A lot of delusional people honestly believe I am meeting up with Tom Hanks and Oprah at Shakey's once a week to eat pizza and drink the blood of children. And I know this because I hear from these people often. My wife hears from them. My kids hear from them. My poor mailman hears from these people. And now we're hearing from lots more of them, thanks to Aaron Rodgers, who I guess believes one of two things. Either he actually believes my name was going to be on Epstein's list, which is insane, or the more likely scenario is he doesn't actually believe that. He just said it because he's mad at me for making fun of his top knot and his lies about being vaccinated. I'm not even sure what top knot means. Uh, so he, he said he was uh, took immune. Uh, that was the whole thing. So here's Rogers after he was challenged at the end of that to apologize. Here's Rogers. Cut 16. And I said a lot of people, and I'm quoting myself here, a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't come out. End quote. That's what I said. That's the entire quote. Okay. I was referring to the fact that if there is a list, which again, this hasn't come out yet, this was just a deposition, and there are names on it, then that would be the second time that a soft brain, junior college student, wacko, anti-vax, anti-Semite, spreader of misinformation, conspiracy theorist, MAGA, whatever other things that have been said by him and other people in the media would be right twice. So he didn't apologize, but he went on. Cut 17. 
Jimmy Kimmel has been called a pedophile, I think, by a lot of people because his name has been on one of those lists on the Internet for a long time. So I think you stoking the flame a little bit there made the entire world continue to turn up on him. I think that's why he got so bummed out by it all. And that sucks. And and I condemn that 100 percent. Like, that's ridiculous. Like any type of name calling, that's ridiculous. And I'm not calling him one. And neither should you. So don't do that in my name. Don't do that at all. Like, those are serious accusations meant for people who are on the list. And, again, there was some names that came out recently from a deposition from 2005. But there's still flight logs. There's still a lot of other things that are going to come out. And this corruption goes deep, I believe. And most people that probably looked at it believe that it goes deep. I'm not calling him one. No one should. Don't do it in my name. But he went on. And then he said, listen. I was right about Fauci. He was mostly, he was the purveyor of misinformation. I was right about the vaccine. Every right to turn it down. And you had every right to say something about it. But you also made his life miserable. And he wasn't whining about it every night. And believe it, he has a platform. Not only with Pat McAfee, but on any show he wants at any time. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot of action. We have an action-packed uh, two hours to go, but this hour is also going to be pa- uh, packed. And also, we're talking about the weather. Not only how it's affected New York, the eastern seaboard, but also how it's affecting Iowa. It is cold even for Iowa. Is that going to affect things if it stays as cold like it's expected to do on Monday when we finally get going with some uh, real events? So we have a lot to discuss, uh, including the guy that's right next to me right now, and that is Lucas Tomlinson. Lucas, from uh, you weren't from Pentagon Reporter. You know, are you officially a Washington reporter now? General assignment, Brian. When the assignments come, I hit the door. I'm out. So you have so many specialties. It's uh, we couldn't fit them all in a business card. So they said general. That's right. They right. said, get out of the Pentagon. We're going to sign you just all over the world. So Ukraine, Israel, you name it. You've been both mm-hmm. uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And also, just a little background on you. You went to Annapolis? That's right. Naval Academy graduate, proud class, 2001, last real plea beer. And mm-hmm. then you went on to serve. You got seven-year obligation? Mm-hmm. Six-year obligation. And, uh, yep, I was on a warship, did deployments all over the world. And then later actually went to Afghanistan with an army unit and was in southern Afghanistan in Kandahar, the beautiful Argandab River Valley. Got to tour some lovely, quiet little villages and uh, worked out there and uh, came back and the rest is history. How how did you get into the communications broadcasting side of things? You know, when I came back from Afghanistan, I thought a lot of what I was doing was almost like combat reporting, gathering information, making reports, reporting up the chain of command, but also free to, uh, you know, Follow the facts, see where the story takes you. And so when I came back, I was like, I think this is what reporters do. This is something I want to get into. And then did you meet Jennifer Griffin? Uh, it wasn't Jennifer Griffin right away. Uh, had an interview at Fox, started here at the D.C. Bureau, uh, practically turning the lights on, sweeping out the joint, four in the morning, early lives producer, all that, waking up reporters to you know get them in the studio, learning the business though, learning right. the business of journalism, the craft. I didn't know what a SOT, Nat Pop, Vo. I didn't know any of that. And just little by little, just kept going, started going to the State Department briefings, and I was done asking reporters questions. Sometimes I'd throw my own questions in there. Some of that stuff you know, made news and just kept going. It was actually at the Justice Department for a hot minute. And then, yes, I linked up with Jennifer Griffin, the mighty, powerful, 
wonderful Jennifer Griffin, and the rest is history. Right. So now you went for Pentagon. You work yep. at the Pentagon, but now mm-hmm. you're back doing just about everything. That's but right. they feel very comfortable putting you in war zones. That's right. It's uh, very comfortable there. It's, it's been a great honor to report from Ukraine and Israel for this network. It's, it's been great. So when you when the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense Austin just disappears for two weeks, if I told you that a year ago, I'd say, by the way, don't be surprised if a Secretary of Defense doesn't really talk to the president, disappears for two weeks, and no one will know the difference. He won't tell his chief of staff, won't tell his deputy, won't really matter. He'll say, Brian, you don't understand the military. Because this guy, a four-star general, this is how he's been spending the last maybe five decades of his life, being accountable, correct? Right. Making sure people are accountable to him. Can you wrap your head around this? Do you think we're still missing this story? Is there something I don't see? I think people are just shocked that the Secretary of Defense can go missing in action for nearly a week and no one knew. I mean, what does that say about what's going on in the administration right now that uh, the Secretary of Defense can just go offline for four days and it seemed like no one noticed? It's kind of scary when you think about it. You know, there's 1.4 million Americans in uniform, the active duty forces, and if you go to Fort Bragg or any base, you go to the waterfront at Naval Station Mayport and say that a soldier, sailor doesn't make, you know, doesn't show up for work. It's a problem. I mean, sailors don't miss ships' movement, do they? When the ship gets underway, you better have accountability and know where everybody is. So th- that's military 101. Accountability is not just a punchline or something that people use. And yeah, for the defense secretary to be a former four star general, head of U.S. Central Command, by the way, I mean, think about everything going on in the Middle East right now, probably not the best time to go offline. So I was told that this is how vital communication is, that somebody was traveling with the former uh, chief, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the plane lost Wi-Fi, couldn't, didn't have communication ability, however the sophisticated communication. And he basically said, land the plane. I cannot be out of communication. Oh, yeah. Think about that mindset, which I actually think is – I thought that was kind of severe. You might want to say, get a message to my deputy for 90 minutes, I'm going to be out. of." But he said, no, land the plane. I need to know what's going on. How does that translate to this, which makes me think I don't re- – we don't know everything yet. We only found out yesterday you had cancer. Right, and, and how about that? I mean, and President Biden spoke to his defense secretary over the weekend. You'd think at some point in the conversation uh, the secretary would provide an update or, yes, I had this cancer surgery. The fact that it appears the president asked him how he's doing, wished him for a speedy recovery but didn't know what he was recovering from – it's a bit of a problem. Not to get in the weeds on military communications too, Brian, but it's not just Wi-Fi. I mean you look at the, – from the president to the commander of U.S. Central Command, when those guys roll, they roll with a big crew, like a platoon of comms guys. They're using satellites to communicate, not just Wi-Fi, but you know, satellites. It's vitally important, and the idea that uh, he would disappear, it's just it's strange. Where was the chief of staff? Chief of staff uh, – Austin's chief of staff apparently had the flu, but somebody who's not getting a lot of notice in this whole thing is Austin's senior military advisor. That's a three-star position. His name is Lieutenant General Ron Clark. Where was Clark in all this? So the chief of staff is out. Certainly uh, Austin's senior military advisor knows people at the White House. Jake Sullivan has a military advisor. There's plenty of military at the White House. Why did all this happen? It just makes it seem like this was all on purpose, that Austin didn't want people to know, and that was the order. Cut 22. Here's the sparring session between John Kirby, who really couldn't cover for him and couldn't pretend as if this wasn't a big deal, and Peter Ducey. Cut this 22. Great. If the administration is going to go to such great lengths to keep secrets about the defense secretary's health, how can anybody be certain that the administration would not go to the same lengths to keep secret problems with President Biden's health in the future? If you could logically argue, and you can't, If the administration made some sort of Machiavellian effort 
uh, across the board to, to, to keep this from getting public, then I think your question has merit and certainly is a fair one. I don't think it's a fair one because that's not what happened here, Peter. What happened here is the Secretary of Defense, uh, for whatever reason, I can't answer that's the okay. question for whatever why, reason. Uh, that information wasn't shared. It wasn't shared widely in the department, it's and it worse. certainly wasn't shared with you the agency. Know. It's, it's, not, it's not good. It's certainly not good, which is why, again, we want to learn from this. We want to, we want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Well, by the way, there's nothing to learn from it. Don't, don't, don't bring me down with it. Don't bring the rest of it. Don't bring him. What happened here, the Secretary of Defense, for whatever reason, I can't answer that. That's for a press secretary. You rarely get that type of, listen, not my, it's not throwing under the bus. Because under the bus is throwing somebody just a sacrificial lamb. It is about him. And I can't explain him, even though I'm part of his team. Can't explain it. Let's face it, if John Kirby was still at the Pentagon, safe to say this wouldn't have happened. The secretary went in for this elective surgery, although last I checked, removing cancer from the body is not something you elect to do. You want that to happen ASAP. Uh, A statement probably would have gone out on December 22nd when the secretary went under the knife. Uh, And and by the way, trying to throw Peter Ducey under the bus in some of the tone of that question. Uh, Come on. Right. Um, And what about – I'm going to play a little bit more. Cut 23. Why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again? I think we all recognize, and I think the Pentagon has been very, very honest with themselves about the challenge to, to, to credibility by what has transpired here and by what and by uh, uh, how, how, how hard it was for them to be fully transparent with the American people. I think we all recognize that, and we all recognize that this didn't unfold the way it should have on so many levels, not just the notification process up the chain of command, but the transparency issue. We all recognize that. And and I think we all want to make sure we learn from that. Uh, It's up to you and your colleagues, and it's up to the American people to determine, you know, how much they're going uh, to ascribe what happened here to our credibility on every single issue. So we got to learn from it. A little mea culpa there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see where this goes. I'm more concerned about something else. Let's talk about the actual conflict itself. You were just over in Israel. So here we are. We're going to be still see fighting there. They said there's going to be different type of fighting, but it's still going to be intense over there. What, what are you hearing? How much longer? You know, to root out Hamas is like rooting out terrorism. It is going to be very challenging, very different. Of course, we've seen some of these target assassinations, not just in Israel, but in Lebanon, uh, Syria. Of course, when you're a terrorist organization backed by Iran, who has you know, a whole terrorist army in the Quds Force, uh, you saw what happened when the former president, Donald Trump, assassinated the head of that force, Qasem Soleimani. Uh, this fighting will continue because of Iran. You know, not even sure how much Iran cares about some of these low-level fighters, frankly. This is all just pawns on the chessboard. Uh, what's really concerning for officials here in Washington is what's happening in the Red Sea. Uh, yesterday, you'd be forgiven if this got uh, washed under the table here because of, of so many of these attacks. The Iranian-backed force on the ground in Yemen, the Houthis, launched their largest missile and drone strike to date, 21 drones and missiles, including ballistic missiles. Uh, thankfully, none of them hit their target, but what the U.S. military is doing is expending a lot of weaponry. Uh, these SM-2 missiles that are being fired from warships, by the way, three different U.S. warships shot down these drones and missiles. A British warship was used. Wow. Uh, F-18 Super Hornets from the carrier Eisenhower was used. That's only the third time in history uh, it, a Super Hornet has shot down something in air to air. The fact that this keeps happening, uh, many people at U.S. Central Command are itching to strike back, hit the launchers, hit the radar yeah. sites. Uh, but you see an expensive. 
So how much are the are the the rockets that we send out to knock down their drones? The SM2 missiles are about two million dollars a copy. Wow. These uh, SM6 missiles used to destroy the ballistic missiles. You're talking about five million dollars a copy. So you could argue what the Iranians are doing right now through their proxies is trying to overwhelm our defenses, swarm, and also Brian, when you. Uh, expend your missiles on the high seas. It's not like pulling off the New Jersey turnpike and getting gas if you're low on fuel. You have to go to Suda Bay. You have to go to Crete, maybe Bahrain, home of the Fifth Fleet. You can't just at sea order takeout or get more missiles put on. That's not how you gotta it works. you got to go get them. you got to go get them. So that takes those ships off station. It's a lot of things going on. And it's not Exposing like they just, the commercial vessels without coverage. Correct. Correct. And, you know, there's tomahawks on board those right. ships. So it's not like they're just missiles, so interceptor is, missiles. So right now, uh, the way I understand it, General Keene has backed it up, and you told me too off there. We know exactly where the Houthis are. We know I, exactly where they're shooting. Yeah. So let's blow them up. And the problem is it's they don't want to expand the war. That's a big thing. Just like we don't want the export that we're expanding Ukraine. So we slow walk weapon systems. People die. Infrastructure gets destroyed because you don't want to push Russia too far. That's right. And now we have the same situation here. Do you believe uh, do you believe that at some point we're going to have to attack? And do you also believe that Saudi Arabia is one of the one of our allies that's saying, don't do it. We finally have a detente with them. We're not getting rocketed. You told us to stop with the blockade in Yemen. You told us to stop hitting with rockets. And now we work out something on our own and you could blow it up. And remember, Brian, the Saudis have made a quasi detente with Iran, you know, backed by China uh, in recent months. Uh, it's a very uneasy time in the region. Uh, certainly, Saudi Arabia wants a, a defense deal uh, with the United States the way U.S. has one with Israel to supply them weapons. Uh, well, a, then they bit out of the bricks. Right, right. We, right, have, to, we right, have to ask for something in return. Right. You know, pull back from China. Right. And we'll give you missile uh, mutual assure. You know, we'll give you missile defense. Right. right. I, I didn't un- know this. We pulled the Patriot missiles out of Saudi Arabia under the auspices of maintenance. But Trump put them there after right. they were rocketed by Iran. And we right. pulled them out while telling the Houthis you're no longer on the terror list. Now, if you're Saudi Arabia, no wonder you're a little ticked off at Biden. Sure. And, and recall when it was Saudi Arabia was the target of some of these Houthi missiles. And uh, when, you know, Aramco, some of those uh, oil uh, yeah. tanks got blown up in like 2019. Uh, it's, it's that a was big, Iran, right? Iran, but through uh, the Houthis. Oh, I, mean, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. I thought Iran sent those rockets. They didn't? No. I mean, through, through their proxies. I mean, okay. it, and it, it's a real problem. And yes, some from Iran, but I mean, also working through their proxies, the Houthis. It is a big, big problem. There's certainly a lot of people in the Pentagon at U.S. Central Command that are itching to strike back, also, also the British. And the British have been leaning forward on this. Their new defense secretary has said, we will take action. Uh, certainly the Biden administration will, will not want to move forward without a coalition. Right now it seems like a, a smaller coalition, but the Brits are itching to strike back because, as you right. mentioned, at some point it can't just be all defensive. You want to shoot the radar installations and the launchers. Lucas, it's uh, great to finally see you, uh, you know, in person. In person. This big, is fantastic. I'm, I'm big advice of your work and your service. Likewise. And you have a great clothing deal. Am I right, Allison? <laughs> Did you see this suit? It's really not. I mean, it's I knew almost, you were coming today. It's Brian. almost too expensive, right? <laughs> I almost feel jealous. You must have a bigger budget in D.C. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, you listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. We're in Washington today. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
I think that uh, that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. Our nation is founded on the rule of come law. Come on, come on. And the premise come that on. the law applies equally to everyone, no matter what your last Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Point uh, of it order. It doesn't matter who you are. So that is Nancy May speaking, and Hunter Biden walked in. They're going to hold Hunter Biden in contempt for not showing up for his deposition. So he decides, he says, I want to go publicly. Now, when you go publicly in these hearings, you got five minutes on, five minutes off, five minutes on, five minutes off. And they said, no, we want to get everything in writing so we know where we're going with this interview. That's why they bring Eric Sherwin, and that's why they bring Tony Bobulinski and all these other people behind the scenes. Well, in a show of, um, I guess, this big display of brashness, Hunter Biden shows up with his lawyer, Abby Lowell, and somebody else. I believe that's his sugar daddy, that multimillion dollar producer that providing money for his lifestyle and his private jets for some reason. No one could really understand why. But now Josh Moshkowitz is speaking, saying, let Hunter Biden speak right now. And he's saying that James Comer said you could pick whether you want to be front and center or you want to be behind closed doors. I don't believe he gave him that choice. He said, no, you're not. We'll decide. And you're going to go behind closed doors first. And there's going to be contempt of Congress if you don't do it. There's going to be an inquiry. So right now, Hunter Biden surprised everybody. Nancy Mace just spoke. One of the things she said at the end uh, was, uh, you, when you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Here's Jamie Raskin. The chairman refused to take yes for an answer from Hunter Biden. Instead, on December 1, they pulled a bait and switch. They changed the terms of their request. They rejected his offer or his acceptance of their offer and insisted that he now come in and sit for a secret closed-door deposition. On December 6, Hunter Biden's lawyer reiterated that Hunter Biden was willing to accept the chair's original request and once again offered to appear on December 13th or any other date in December to answer any question pertinent and relevant to the subject matter. He again raised concerns about closed-door sessions. That's what brings us to today, Mr. Chairman. Um, He has materially, substantially, in good faith complied with what your requests were. He complied and, uh, with the subpoena. We, 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 uh, we would have expired. So his time's expired. Uh, that's Jamie Raskin's time expired. Now Josh Moskowitz is running through it. Obviously, they got the heads up because the Democrats are coming at the president. Uh, excuse me, uh, Chairman Comer and the others and Republicans. Now, keep in mind this. Hunter Biden going front and center in a sensationalistic way does nothing but underline this case more. Do you know what's happening right now? Every network is taking this. Do you know how many people would have done it if they were just going to hold Hunter Biden in contempt? Fox would have probably taken a clip, probably run it within the news. Now everybody's taking it. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, that's a good thing. I do. I think it's a good thing. But Hunter Biden wants to dictate the terms in which he gets to talk and become a sympathetic figure with a crack addict. And uh, I had this addiction and I loved hookers and I wasted millions of dollars. But the real story is... The international business deals you did, CEFC, the international uh, jobs you held, Burisma in Ukraine, the, the people you met with, the Moscow mayor. Now Hunter Biden is in the hallway after appearing, and now he's going to conduct a press conference. Please tell me how this makes President Biden look good. We will see. And is he conspiring with the president? Because that's not good. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're covering all the breaking news. Don't move.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hunter Biden was and is a private citizen. Despite this, Republicans have sought to use him as a surrogate to attack his father. And despite their improper partisan motives, on six different occasions since February of 2023, we have offered to work with the House committees to see what and how relevant information to any legitimate inquiry could be provided. Our first five offers were ignored, and then in November, they issued a subpoena for a behind-closed-doors deposition, a tactic that the Republicans have repeatedly misused. That is Abby Lowell, the attorney for Hunter Biden. Moments ago, Hunter Biden shocked everybody, not everybody, but most people, it's out aside from Jamie Raskin and Josh Moskowitz, at least, Democratic congressman, by showing up with his lawyer and his, looks like his rich producer has been financing his life, um, and to say, I'm willing to testify, essentially, knowing that James Comer and his committee said, we want you behind closed doors for a deposition first. And he said, no, I, I want to go front and center. And they said, no, you're not going to do that because the theater that goes along with it. And again, after holding a press conference on the Senate side, we were supposed to appear behind closed doors a few weeks ago before Christmas. Then he shows up in court today. Julian Epstein, we're very fortuitous to have him right now. He serves as chief counsel to that committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and staff director to the House Oversight Committee um, from 96 to 2001 and is an an outstanding attorney himself. Julian, we're watching this unfold as you walked in. You said you worked with Abby Lowell before. Your thoughts about... His decision to go to this hearing today. Yeah, Abby's a friend of mine. We worked together during the Clinton impeachment um, uh, in '98, and um, good friend, very good attorney. Um, not the tactic I would have used. You, you just you don't get as a witness, particularly as the son of the president of the United States, the right to tell a congressional committee how to conduct an investigation and how you're going to comply with a subpoena. If a congressional committee says we want to do a deposition before a public hearing. That's what you do. You don't get to say, no, I want to, I will comply with subpoena only if you do it in my way. You don't get to choose that when Congress issues you a subpoena. You can't say, I'm not going to comply with subpoena because I think you're motivated on partisan, by a partisan investigation or partisan intent. It's just not how the system works. It breaks down. Right now, the Attorney General of the United States is prosecuting Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro for contempt of Congress and failing to comply with subpoenas. And I just don't know how the president of the United States or the attorney general answers the question about the president's own son now defying a subpoena. When I ran that committee, and there's plenty of evidence, plenty of precedent of Democrats using depositions before a public hearing. Why would you do that? Because in a public hearing, you have a five-minute rule. You go back and forth with members. In a deposition, the attorneys can ask Questions, follow-up questions for an hour, two under hours, oath? as much under oath for as long as you need. You're not distracted by the Klieg lights. You're not, you're not interrupted by the five-minute rule, and you can persist in a line of questioning in a much more meaningful way. There's lots of reasons to do and that. And lay the groundwork to find out what you're going to do in public if, in fact, that be the next step, right, right. And to build Dem- a case. Democrats did that in the case of uh, Bush 43 in the investigation that they did at the Judiciary Committee with the uh, firing of the U.S. attorneys. Um, so – Democrats have used this process in high-profile investigations of presidents before. I just think it's a PR stunt. Abby's very good at PR. 
but I don't think it is a it, it is certainly not an argument that they can win from a legal point of view. And from a PR point of view, I, I, th- I think the president and the Biden family would be better off answering the questions about what happened to the money, the money trail, what these clients overseas in China and elsewhere believed that they got in exchange for these payments, particularly when he was vice president, particularly when the vice president, vice president Biden was enabling this sort of influence schedule. Because, because the main thing that people have said and the critics said is, what's the product? The product is the Biden what's family. What's the product? I yeah, think we want to. you have. I think we want to know that. I mean, Hunter Biden and, and, and Joe Biden's brother don't appear to have a skill set other than consanguinity. That what does was that mean? The bloodline. Okay. <laughs> that they were related to the Biden. They have the Biden name. They don't have a, a skill set. That is readily right. apparent to anyone. So let me put, explain to people what's happening. So uh, when Hunter Biden walked into the room, people were shocked, but not the Democrats, who were prepared to defend him in their five minutes that they got. As soon as Marjorie Taylor Greene began to speak, he got up and left. Uh, and with Abby Lowell, then they walk in through the halls. The cameras all following them. There's probably, what do you think, 40 cameras following him. He got into a limousine, and then they left. They made their point that they're willing to show up. And now all the networks are going to be forced to say, what is the case? Anderson Cooper, that and, you know, all the people that don't want this story are going to be forced to go, you know, what happened today? Yeah. So and do they if you're the president of the United States, uh, this isn't helpful. I imagine it's not helpful. Maybe it gets Lloyd Austin's cancer surprise off the pages for a little while. I don't know. It puts it back on the front pages. It is an argument. I mean, I don't think there's evidence that President Biden has committed impeachable offenses. I don't think that's on the table. I do think there's a lot of evidence that suggests the need for further investigation right. to find out what happened, particularly when he was vice president. And that says a lot because you're, you're a Democrat. And I ran – I used to run the government – I was a staff director of this government oversight committee for right. years. And I – you know, if you look at the AP poll, most people either think that President Biden did something wrong or unethical. So they have not been winning the argument. But what's astounding to me – on a committee that I love very much, and again, that I ran for many years as a staff director, I didn't run, I, I was a staff director of the committee for many years, is Democrats all in unison sort of going along with this attempt to defy a subpoena. Now, because, because they're saying that at first Jamie Comer made a statement that you pick any way you want. You want to come in front public, you want to come in private, and then they go, we want to go public. And he had said, no, that, that ship has sailed and I never offered. That was in conversation. So that's what they kept holding them to. It doesn't matter what Comer said six months ago. What matters is what the committee yeah. is asking for today. If the committee yep. is saying we want to do a deposition and then a public hearing, that's the committee's prerogative. And it's not the Democrats' position to say or the minority position to say, hey, we think you're motivated in a partisan way. Therefore, we're only going to comply with subpoena in a way that's fitting to us. Now, you take back – look, take a look at all the high-minded rhetoric that – the Democrats used during the Trump impeachments and all the Trump investigations, and they claimed that democracy was ending because Trump was defying so many subpoenas and that the system just couldn't survive like that. How do you square what they're doing today, which Can't. is we're not going to comply with a lawful subpoena because right. we think you're motivated in a partisan way? That was Trump's argument. We're not going to comply with a subpoena. We're going to do it our way. It just seems to me to be a, right. a pathetic showing on their part. Let me just tell you a little bit more. So as you know, he became an artist. And at that time, he had a, a gallery, Georges Burgess. Evidently, in the art world, his name is big. I don't know much about the art world. But people say, who bought the art? And they go, well, it's none of your business. He goes, well, it's private. No, who bought it? Because 
are people trying to get influence with your dad, who's president of the United States, by buying the art? Is that a question you can ask? Sure. You can ask any question. There's no but, limit. But, no, but is that a valid question, inquiry? I think if there is evidence that there is something not on the up and the up, up, up and up with a purchase, that this is part of an influence peddling scheme to sort of gain influence with Joe Biden, uh, it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask. So, I mean, there's this issue is not going to go away. So long as Republicans are even in the white, either in the White House or one of the branches of Congress, yeah. this issue is not going to go away. And I said this. When Biden first became president, it would be better off for this the Biden family to get all the facts on the table. It would have been in the rearview mirror by it now. It would have been in the re- – exactly. It's the ex- argument I made. I, I had did a number of interviews in early 2021, and it's exactly the argument I made. Get it all out. Get everything in the rearview mirror just as exactly as you and, said. Unless the story is so bad. And uh, but I'm going to give you an you example. Just, you can't – you cannot strong-arm the Congress or you cannot strong-arm the media when there is a case of influence peddling that the vice president – is enabling through his family. So it's just, yeah, it's not going to go away. So they were, they're, they're, dude, they're fired, Hunter crashed into this contempt hearing. They're holding him in contempt. When he doesn't show up for the subpoena and, the, and with the rules that they're given, they will actually uh, hold him in contempt, and we'll see where that goes from here. So the, about his art, which is also an issue, Georges Burgess, who knew who bought the 70% of his art, including Elizabeth Hertz Naftali, whom the dealer revealed purchased works by the first son both before and after scoring a prestigious appointment from President Biden, a source told The Post. Naftali, who uh, repeated visits to the White House during the time frame in question, inked a $42,000 sale in February of 2021 before her appointment that July by Joe Biden to the Commissioner of the Preservation of American Heritage Abroad, then another $52,000 painting in December of 2022. And this isn't Picasso. This is a guy that started painting a month ago. I mean, yeah. does that look bad? Look, I don't know. I don't know what was in her mind when she purchased the art. I don't know which piece of art was purchased. I, I, I don't think just from that information you can say there was something that was done that was wrong. But to your earlier question, I think you can say there's something there that bears further investigation. And there's something that, um, you know, there's something that looks a little bit odd. And it's perfectly legitimate for Congress to say we want much more information on that. Here's what James Comer said last night. This is prior to the the antics that we just saw. Cut 25. Burgess didn't know anything about it. And if they had an ethics agreement, they would have had it with one person, George Burgess. He said under oath today he had never spoken with anyone from the White House about it. He didn't know anything about it. That's another lie that's been told by Joe Biden and or Joe Biden's administration. So uh, that's what they're pursuing, too. And Hunter Biden, instead of uh, knuckling under, he is now this is his second public stunt. Is this something that Abby Lowell does is known for? He's very look, I, again, I worked with him in the 98 impeachment of President Clinton. He, he's very in good. Defense. Yeah, in the defense of Clinton. Um, and we, we, we partnered together. He's 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 an excellent lawyer and he gets the PR game pretty well. So, yeah, he's very good on the PR. Um, I, I think. There is concern that they will be losing this debate as we get into 2024 in the presidential season. And Abby's regarding this as a preemptive strike to say, hey, look, we tried to cooperate, but they shunned us. Um, Maybe the best thing that they have right now. Uh, But, you know, I've said this from the beginning. This issue is not going away. They'd be much better off to get all the information out on the table rather than sort of strong arming uh, the Hill. 
So think about, remember we said this year, 2024, is going to be a big year? If you look at the court cases, the 91 charges, the four indictments, the civil suits against them, the, all the uh, Super Tuesdays in the Ira Caucus, New Hampshire, everything just on the schedule. Stuff like this is the unexpected, you know, and this is what, think about what this year is going to be like. Yeah. Between the impeachment inquiry happening at the same time. Well, right. And I mean, I think to, you know, the Democrats who want to take Trump off the ballot, and I think that's wrong, and sort of waiting till year four of the Biden administration to prosecute Trump on what happened on January 6th. Looks terrible. I think it looks terrible. I think, I mean, there's no reason the Justice Department needed to wait till year, year four until we're in the middle of election season. I don't think we will see the prosecution of Trump, I think, because um, uh, the the two major cases, the uh, the Mar-a-Lago documents case and the uh, January 6th, I think, are going to be tied up in this litigation that we've been talking about, the um, uh, um, the uh, you know the both both, the... both both major cases that are before the Supreme Court. I think it's going to delay it too far into the season, and I, I think sort of at some point Democrats are going to have to answer the question: Why is it if these activities were so bad on January sixth, and I thought they were awful, whether they were criminally uh, liable under the insurrection statutes and related statutes is another question. But why is it it took them to year four of the Biden administration to prosecute? And the thing that the Democrats have to worry about is, say, Trump is elected. What happens in the Hunter Biden case at that point? I mean, if there's going to be this lawfare going back and forth on both sides, what happens to Joe Biden on the documents case? We haven't talked about the Joe Biden documents case. Evidently, Robert Hur has come to a conclusion on it, and it's going to be damning, but it's not going to be something indictable. Well, so, you know, if you look at the statute – in the espionage clause, in the espionage statute, there is a criminal penalty for the uh, gross negligence in the handling of the documents. So you don't have – it doesn't have to be willful. You don't have to be obstructing justice. You don't have to be any of the things that Trump was accused of. Leaving documents in a garage that Son Hunter has access to for a period of years um, while Son Hunter is looking to monetize – influence, you know, might meet some people's definition of gross negligence. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're going to get into this Mm -hmm. question that I don't know the Democrats are ready to answer about whether this is really being even handled. I got a question about the Georgia case when we come back. Julian Epstein, a few more minutes. We're following all the craziness that just happened on Capitol Hill as Hunter Biden uh, crashes into a hearing in hope that was about holding him in contempt for defying a subpoena. And you could imagine the herd of press the herd of press that followed him around as he got up after the first three lawmakers spoke. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'd like to know the rules of the House and our committee. They're available to every member. The the rules stay for a deposition, if that's what you're asking, three days' notice. You have to have the stenographer and all of that. So it's been crazy. This is what's taken place before in the unscripted hearing, but it was not scripted to Josh Moskowitz, and it was not uh, a surprise to Jamie Raskin. They knew Hunter Biden was coming. They used their five minutes each uh, to defend him and challenge James Comer on why he doesn't just let 
him come out and do this publicly, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, and make look Hunter Biden look fearless, uh, where that's the same reason why they had the presser on the Senate side a couple of weeks ago. Julian Epstein is here. Julian Epstein, an attorney, used to, uh, used to be chairman of this committee, right? Uh, uh, staff director. Staff director of this yeah. committee. So um, we're, we're going to unwind this and see who got the better. But I want to ask you about what's happened in Georgia. To be real simple, it's somewhat complicated. The prosecutor hired the suburban attorney uh, to do this, be the special prosecutor on this. It turns out, according to the accusation by one of the people indicted with, with, with Trump, that uh, they were having an affair, and they spent city money up to state money up to six hundred fifty thousand dollars, maybe more. They took lavish vacations, but I think it's most damning that the invoices that appear in the Daily Mail today that showed he billed for a White House meeting with the with the attor- White House attorneys. Why would a Georgia state special prosecutor meet with White House attorneys at the same time say they have nothing to do with the White House and their prosecution of Donald Trump? And election tampering in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's mind-boggling, uh, Brian. I, I, I mind-bogglingly stupid. Mind-bogglingly stupid. I mean, I don't understand how the how Fannie, uh, the Georgia prosecutor Fannie Willis is not recused in the first place, given her political activities before the indictment. I think she should have recused herself. Um, this like Lucia affair- James, she told everyone she's going after Trump. Yeah, she's just a partisan prosecutor. I mean, I think it's just a terrible precedent for the country for which there'll be payback. I think the um, the, the money exchanges where she is paying sort of huge sums to her apparent boyfriend, who's now she's now the subject of a divorce litigation herself, the Fannie Willis's, and um, uh, so that is incredibly messy, incredibly stupid. I think it throws the entire case up in the air now as to whether they're going wow, to be able to proceed. Really? But th- yes, I do, because I think there's going to be all kinds of conflicts. I think this is good. that this will be subject to yeah, litigation. Yeah, unfortunately, as you know, the music gets louder and the, they cut us off. The coordination with the White House, the fact that there would be that kind of stupidity on both the White House's part and the prosecutor's part to be discussing something that, you know, right. what else would they be discussing? And Julian, this is what the president's been saying. Biden's coming after me. And they said no proof. Now they got proof. They got an invoice. Julian Epstein, thank you. Beyond- News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. And what a day we've already had and what a show uh, is taking place. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, John Roberts at the bottom of the hour. After all, why wouldn't we? We're in Washington, D.C. And Howie Kurtz is standing by, host of Media Buzz and author of Media Madness. Uh, and that is what we're looking at. In case you do not know, uh, about a short time ago, Hunter Biden in the middle of a contempt hearing on him and his status for blowing off a subpoena that said he should go behind closed doors and give a deposition, answer questions from uh, the oversight committee on what was he doing uh, with the suspicious activity reports, with his business with CEFC, this Chinese linked Chinese government linked company, what he was doing at Burisma, all these things. He refused to come and answer, but he said, I'll answer publicly. Had that press conference in December. And then it goes up. He shows up and barnstorms into the hearing meeting today. It wasn't a surprise to certain Democratic lawmakers, maybe all of them, but it did surprise the Republicans, at which time they say, we're not a bum rushing a subpoena. We are here. We're here to take your questions. Just ask them for me in public. I want everyone to hear my story. What also plays into it is a documentary that's being done on the, to show the real Hunter Biden. And this footage will probably be part of it. Abby Lowell, his attorney, staged it. 
and then he went into the black van, into the black SUV, and they zipped off. We have some of that sound, and we'll play it in a second. But first, I want to get Howie Kurtz has been watching all this take place. Howie, your take on this uh, on this stunt that we just saw? Well, it was a stunt, no question about it, Brian. And uh, Hunter Biden, uh, it was a less effective stunt, I think, than the last stunt, which is where he showed up outside the Capitol, because at least there the president's son spoke to the press. And he said, OK, I'm willing to answer questions. And he gave his spin. Here we didn't hear from Hunter Biden. We heard from his lawyer, Abby Lowell. And he stood up and walked out. I know, I know you have the sound. As Marjorie Taylor Greene was about to question him, this is right after the Democrats started saying, well, what about all these Republicans the January 6th committee had subpoenaed? And they were not. Uh, there was no follow-up on contempt of court. And I think the White House must basically hate this, because whenever Hunter Biden thrusts himself back in front of the cameras, and there was a mob of cameras in the hallway that everybody then switched to, blowing off the committee hearing inside, um, it brings the story back to the front pages. It brings the story back to the top of the newscast. And it reminds people that there's an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. And basically, I thought it was a bust. So, Howie, I mean, he wants to say, I'm not afraid. And then John Moshkowitz goes, look, why don't you let him testify? You said at one point we'll take to, uh, him anywhere. And then I just had Julian Epstein here, who's Democratic attorney, and said, listen, you can't do this. He's my former law partner, Abby Lowell, and it's a political stunt. But – you know, what the committee wants is behind closed doors. It's not up to you to pick how you're going to testify. And that doesn't – it's not helpful. So he was not sold on this. And I'm watching the screens they have here in your great studios in Washington. Every screen had this story. Yep. Howie, I don't think we would have done more than sound bites today on this story. Now everyone, including their prime time, has got to cover it. And then so- suddenly the question is, by the way, why exactly do they want to subpoena him? What are the legal questions? What is the CEFC company? What is the Burisma board? Why is there controversy? This is a story they wanted to avoid. He's not letting them. Well, I think Hunter Biden's offer uh, to testify in front of the cameras, to testify with national television, it has a certain populist appeal, particularly to Democrats who think, well, why don't, why don't you just take them and let them answer your questions? But the truth is, whether it was Donald Trump Jr. or a whole long list of other people, uh, investigative committees routinely insist on depositions first because you have a lot of uh, boring, uh, heavy, detail-oriented stuff to get through and then have a public hearing. Uh, but obviously, Hunter doesn't want to do it this way. He wants to crusade on his own behalf. There was talk from Abby Lowell about, you know, the Republicans are just trying to um, manipulate him to get to his father. Uh, and again, if you're going to do that, then Hunter should speak and answer reporters' questions. But he's not doing that. And as you say, he got into the car and drove away. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is the five minutes in five minutes. Five minutes, uh, his, the party says he's done nothing wrong. And then five minutes, uh, Republicans ask one question and you filibuster the answer. You mm-hmm. get through your eight-hour day and you say, what was accomplished? Behind closed doors, they sit there as long as you want. Right. And, you know, it doesn't matter the party. So that's one that's one aspect. We'll see how this plays out. If you think about it in the big picture, Howie, he's got a secretary of defense that decides for two weeks not to talk to him. And he goes into serious surgery. Didn't even tell him it was cancer until yesterday, where we didn't even know if the Pentagon could answer a nuclear attack or a domestic attack. We didn't know because no one was leading it. And his chief of staff knew about it. He's got a press secretary that's way over her skis, obviously outperformed by Admiral Kirby. But his political correct way of hiring people, including having his own staff turn on him and protest in front of his own White House, his stance on Israel, his check the box hiring strategy has blown up in his face. 
Lloyd Austin, the cover-up that he did, it's a medical cover-up, it's a political cover-up, it's an absolute fiasco. You had Democrats as well as Republicans criticizing him. But when we found out it was prostate cancer, remember, they originally said, well, it was a minor surgical procedure, and, you know, he didn't feel he needed to do it. Oh, and he's such a private guy, he just and his chief of staff was out sick. So how is anybody at the uh, Pentagon, you know, which is, has to monitor the performance of our armed forces, particularly if we come under attack, particularly with two wars going on with the U.S. backing, justify this? It can't be justified. It was absolute um, political felony. I'm not saying a legal felony. Um, it is embarrassing. I certainly wish him well in recovering from prostate cancer, but it, it underscores the extent to which this guy was incapacitated. Nobody knew. The president didn't know. Uh, the press didn't know. And one point that other people aren't making, this has been his M.O. He rarely talks to reporters. He only brings a couple uh, when he takes foreign trips, uh, press conferences, you know, maybe once in a blue moon. And I think that hurts. How can he be an effective advocate for the armed forces and for his president if he basically just wants to sit in his office and not communicate with anybody outside the inner circle? I mean, I think he's done a lousy job on that score. Maybe, you know, he was a great four-star general. But prostate cancers. I think that has kicked this story. I'm even going to call it a scandal. Uh, from uh, a B-plus to an A-plus. And I think that it's not going to go away. And I don't know that he can survive this. I'm not sure either. Uh, real quick, Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel. I think this is bigger than a quarterback and a talk show host. Because Rodgers came out and spoke out against the vaccine. He did not like the protocols, did not mm -hmm. like being told what to do. It doesn't mean he's a Trump supporter or a Fauci hater. He just felt that way. Well, Jimmy Kimmel raked him over the coals. And that which time in his, one of his appearance with the Pat McAfee show on ESPN, Aaron Rodgers said this on January 2nd, cut 15. This has something to do with the Epstein list that came out? <laughs> Feels like it. Feels like it. That's supposed to be coming out soon. That's supposed to be coming out soon. Look, this guy's been it's waiting in his wine people. cellar. Yeah. I've been waiting in my wine I'm cellar for this thing. A lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't happen. <laughs> So Jimmy Kimmel won ballistic on that, and he said this, cut 19. We learned during COVID somehow he knows more about science than scientists. A guy who went to community college, then got into Cal on a football scholarship and didn't graduate, someone who never spent a minute studying the human body, is an expert in the field of immunology. He just put on a, he put on a magic helmet, and he, that G made him a genius. It's, Aaron got two A's on his report card. They were both in the word Aaron, okay? <laughs> and can you imagine that this hamster-brained man thinks he knows what the government is up to? So, Jimmy this me, I, 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 go ahead, tell him. me to, right? Jimmy Kimmel eviscerated him, and rightly so, because he tied him to the leak of all the people who came out who palled around with uh, Jeffrey Epstein who were on his plane, who were on his island. And it's not true. He wasn't on the list. He's never met. And why did Aaron do this? Because he's pissed about something else. I thought it was a masterful performance by Kimmel, and it just shows you, yeah, picking fights with talk show hosts, maybe not the best strategy. If it was a boxing match, they would have stopped it. Well, here is, uh, here's what Aaron Rodgers said yesterday, cut 16. And I said, a lot of people, and I'm quoting myself here, a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't come out. End quote. That's what I said. That's the entire quote. Okay? I was referring to the fact that 
if there is a list, which again, this hasn't come out yet, this was just a deposition, and there are names on it, then that would be the second time that a soft brain, junior college student, wacko, anti-vax, anti-Semite, spreader of misinformation, conspiracy theorist, MAGA, whatever other things have been said by him and other people in the media would be right twice. Here's what else he said, and then he went into the Fauci stuff, cut 18. He gave a platform to one of the biggest uh, spreaders of misinformation during the COVID times, Dr. Fauci. Um, so in my opinion, Jeez. you know, he ripped me about he ripped me about the vax, and, and that turns out to be an L on, on many occasions, because the vax was not safe and effective like we were told that it was in the beginning. Uh, there are a lot of injuries now that we've seen related to the vaccine. So in my opinion, you went after me. That's fine. You're a comedian. Go for it. Not offended. But that was an L. Nice try. You know, if Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers want to debate the finer points of vaccine policy, fine. You know, that's the debate we have. When Aaron Rodgers says without one iota, one shred of proof that Jimmy Ipsy must be worried Excuse me, that Kimball must be worried. Uh, of course, they both work for the same company, ESPN, uh, ABC, Disney, uh, that he must be worried that his name is going to be linked to one of the most notorious sex offenders of modern times and has got squat to back it up. He loses. The one thing I would say is that Kimball does go after people on the vaccine, which I would think that, and also saying soft-brained, I guess he's concussed, number two, Aaron Rodgers going to a junior college who insulted about 50 million people. Number two, that was a choice for athletics. It wasn't for his brain. I think going after someone's intellect, you don't like them, you can do it. But I'm very curious to see where, where this goes because um, Aaron Rodgers says he wasn't calling him. He says he hopes it wasn't on his list. We'll see what happens because now Pat McAfee defending Aaron Rodgers and then Pat McAfee calling out executives at – uh, ESPN, right. but you gave the guy $85 million, and he's doing exactly what he did on, which made you want to recruit him to begin with. He's not changing his show. People just there don't like it. I wonder how that ends, Howie. Uh, I don't know that it went well, because now there's a big split, a big uh, angry fight within ESPN. I, you rarely see a talk show host uh, uh, in the sports world, you know, blast the management and say, leave me alone, I'm going to run my show the way I want. And look, yeah, Jimmy Kimmel took some low blows. No question about it. He was angry. And he perceived, you know, because maybe a lot of people never find out, and this is sort of cloud of suspicion. And he perceived association with Jeffrey Epstein, which uh, obviously hasn't come out. And especially that, you know, it isn't like he, you know, once was in a restaurant with a bunch of people. Says He's never met the guy, who of course is no longer around, to uh, to comment on this, uh, having died in jail. So uh, I would say, I guess the technical term would be a big freaking mess. So the New York Times uh, is facing backlash for an essay speculating on Taylor Swift's sexuality, and she pushed back. She says, well, you know, where do you come off doing this, number one, in this day and age? And she talked about it being totally inappropriate, innovative, and inaccurate. Uh, do you side with Taylor Swift in this? 
I totally side with Taylor Swift. I read that essay, and it was full of sort of innuendo about, oh, she's clearly, when she said this, and there's this lyric in the song, and here's what she said 10 years ago, she was clearly signaling that she was a queer, as this uh, New York Times columnist put it. And, you know, where do where do they get off speculating? This is the most <laughs> famous performer in the singing world. And she had every right to be angry and every right to push back. Uh, I didn't see any evidence that she has come out. And if she wanted to come out, she would. Plus, she's got a boyfriend from the football world. <laughs> I heard about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You might have. Right. What do you expect tonight at the town hall as well as the CNN debate? What do you think is going to get more viewership? I will go yes. out on a limb and say that Donald Trump, talking to Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, will uh, completely annihilate in the ratings the CNN debate between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. And it was, you know, it's a classic Trump programming move. I'm not going to come to any of your debates. I'm leading by too much. I don't want to bother with you guys. I want to elevate you. So he goes over to the competition and he'll have, he'll take questions from Iowa voters as well as from our anchors. Um, and we'll see who wants to watch what. Uh, Howie, lastly, you heard about what's going on in Georgia. There's Fannie Willis having an affair, yes. it seems, going to reports with the suburban special attorney that was named special prosecutor. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and now invoices show up that this special prosecutor had two separate sessions with White House counsel. Now when Donald Trump gets up and says there's a link between the investigations and Joe Biden, you can't say there's no evidence. What I would say is, I have no idea whether these allegations are true or not by one of Trump's co-defendants, but it's in a court filing. But in the la- this is now two days, and Fannie Willis has not made a statement on it. If it was completely, totally untrue, and it had an incredible amount of detail about vacations they took together and, and that sort of thing, uh, I think we would have heard a pretty fast and hard denial. So I'm assuming now on that basis that there is something to it. And, you know, Trump wants to use it to get her disqualified from the RICO case brought against him, Rudy Giuliani, and a whole bunch of others. Right. Uh, to the fact is that the when the special prosecutor for uh, Fulton County is meeting with the White House, you can't say there's no links. Is he just taking a tour? And when you bill for it, I think almost a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, nice I'm, work if you, you can get can, it and you get a girlfriend on the side. <laughs> right. It's a good time to have a town hall if you're Donald Trump. And there's, yeah. there's times when you don't want one. Exactly. This is not a bad day. Howie, thanks so much. Best of luck on Media Buzz. Best uh, media show on television and the longest running one in television history. Uh, media Buzz on Sundays. And enjoy having you here in Washington. Thanks, Brian. All right. I'm gonna, I promise not to break anything. Thanks, Howie. Brian Kilmeade Show, back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. First of all, my first question is who bribed Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, Second question, you are the epitome of white privilege, coming into the Oversight Committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and... Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman... If the gentle lady Let's wants to hear from Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. And Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from I'm Hunter speaking. Biden. What are, are you afraid of? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, are order, order. order. Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Because you keep interrupting me. I'll interrupt the chairman. I don't know that he's a lady. Now, John Roberts is in studio now because we're in his, this is his home game. 
John, great to see uh, the antics. I'm sure you were watching all this take place. Your show's trains dramatically uh, and since then. Your thoughts <laughs> wait, about wait. that exchange? We only got a quick minute or two. Uh, we took the rundown and we blew, yeah, <laughs> we right. blew up the top <laughs> of the show. That really was extraordinary. And, and the fact that Nancy Mace was the one who was asking the questions at that moment when he walked in. I mean, she's a tough lady. Don't forget, she went to the Citadel. She's got a little bit of a salty mouth, as, as we heard there. But she gave it to him, and it was right after that when um, Marjorie Taylor Greene came out for questioning that he decided, uh, I think we've had enough of this, and he got up and he walked out. But obviously, wonder, Mankiewicz and Raskin knew about it because they were ready with their speeches. Yeah, and we wonder, was the documentary crew that his sugar daddy has been bankrolling, following him around, and is that going to form a vital part of whatever documentary comes out on Hunter Biden? And you mentioned that was Kevin Morris sitting next to him along sure with Abigail, like yeah. right? Yep. So with his purple jacket, looked like a Hollywood producer, and then he walked out dramatically. I mean, it was at the very least grandstanding and a raisin political stunt at worst. Uh, and do you think his dad's happy about this? I don't think so, no. But the White House has been wanting Hunter and Abby Lowell to cool it, they just took a flame uh, thrower to the whole Does thing. Does anyone listen to the president? His own staff is protesting him. His secretary of defense gets cancer surgery, doesn't tell him. And his own son is becoming getting more publicity than he wants. More with John Roberts in a moment. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The chairman urged Mr. Biden to come appear at a public committee hearing on September 13th. On Newsmax, the chairman stated, Hunter Biden is more than welcome to come in front of the committee. If he wants to clear his good name, if he wants to come and say, you know, there weren't 20 show companies, he's invited today. We'll drop everything. On October 31, on a nationwide podcast, the chairman stated, we have mountains of evidence. Now we're ready to bring them in. We're in the downhill phase now because we have so many documents and we can bring these people in for depositions or committee hearings, whichever they choose. For depositions or committee hearings, whichever they choose. And we can ask these questions with evidence. So Jamie Raskin and Josh Moskowitz, at least John Roberts, uh, John Roberts, famed anchor of Fox News, uh, <laughs> Uh, with Sandra Smith in the afternoon. But first, um, they just walked in, surprised everyone. You just mentioned before, if you're just tuning in, that John Roberts, you could hear him ripping up his rundown. Uh, <laughs> but what are your thoughts? They, they had these but big ripping up the it's, Ripping up the rundown is a good thing, Brian. I mean, the things are happening. Fun. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I just feel bad for the people that booked everybody. Uh, but, but John... They said they were ready. They had the big screens to show mm-hmm. that John, James Comer at one point said any way he wants. But he goes, well, in the end, they decided it's got to go behind closed doors. So who wins this? Who, like, who, who wins this, spa, this sparring session? They're still going to hold him in contempt, right? Well, uh, I expect that they probably will. We had Comer on our show yesterday. He says he's got the votes to get this out of committee. He's got the votes to pass it in the full House. Then the big question is, what does the Department of Justice do? And And I think... Today is probably an indication that the Justice Department is going to have a very difficult time making a decision. I mean, it's a difficult enough decision as to whether or not you prosecute the president's son. But if Hunter Biden is offering to testify publicly in, in, before the committee, but not in a deposition, how you know, finally do you slice the salami there? Because don't forget, Navarro and Bannon were held in contempt of Congress because they refused to cooperate at all. 
They said, no, we've got executive privilege. We're not coming before the January 6th committee in any way, shape, or form. Hunter Biden is saying, I'll do it publicly. They say, no, we want you to do it behind closed doors. So does the Department of Justice look at that and say that's a contemptible uh, charge? Uh, Or, well, wait a second, shouldn't there be room here for good faith negotiation with the committee? So the Justice Department has got a very difficult decision to make, and, and I would expect mm. that they will probably decide against following through with a contempt charge. On another note, before we let Hunter go, what about the fact that it's emerged that these Democratic donors were the ones who bought his art? This Georges <laughs> Burgess who had it there, and it's this Naftali is the one who ended up getting a position and, buying and that, the art prior to getting that position? And, and that Hunter Biden, uh, that these – um, buyers were not anonymous to a large degree, that more than 75 or 80 percent of them were known to him and that there was no, according to George Burge, a, uh, an, agree- an ethics agreement between the White House and the selling of his art. It's all kind of blowing up. Just Can we take a step back? You see a lot of profiles of different people. This is bizarre. You would think a guy that's been in so much trouble dealing with so many addictions would say, the last thing I want is to cause my dad more problems or me more problems. Why would I go sell my art in New York and have donors buy it knowing this could add to the scrutiny on my dad and myself while the knowing that you're being investigated by a special – by David Weiss, who's not got this new power now? Yeah, I can't speak to the pathology it's crazy. of it. it but it, it's kind of like, well, you know, if there's a snowstorm, let's make it a blizzard and we'll get them to try to figure it all out and find out what's under all the drifts. I, I don't know. You would think that if you were engaging in behavior that was under scrutiny – that you would dial it back a little right. bit as opposed to doubling down on it. And I don't think the White House is happy about this at all. The fact that Hunter Biden popped in you know, to that congressional committee hearing today, his own contempt of Congress uh, hearing, I don't think the White House is very happy about that at all because it's just focused so much attention now on it. It was you were pointing out during the commercial break. Uh, that all of these left-leaning media organizations that would have liked to have ignored that hearing, it's not going to be their lead story for the rest of the day. Anderson Cooper is also tearing up his rundown. <laughs> so, I mean, and, it may, and now all of a sudden, you know, i got to cover this. And then, then the thing is, as well, you know, around, he, he, talking I, about the, I, what exactly did he do? I what exactly he, I, do the Republicans want to know? I was just going to say he's got few enough viewers that he could probably call them all <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the story. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, he used to be over there. You would know. Uh, but I think he should just get his confidence up, personally. So I want to talk about what's happening in Iowa in five days and what's happening in, uh, in New Hampshire in 13 days, I believe. Do I do that right? 23rd? What's today? The 10th? Yeah, 13 days. Yeah, pretty good. Very good. Not very, bad. I'm very happy with myself. You went to MIT, clearly. Absolutely not. <laughs> How dare you uh, tar me with that uh, allegation. So uh, first off in Iowa, I think it's very – Can I tell you a quick joke? Yeah. My, my, my doctor once was behind a woman in line at the supermarket, and she had a shopping cart full of stuff, and she was in the 10 items or less line. And he said, let me guess, you either went to Harvard and you can't count or you went to MIT and you can't read. <laughs> Did she get out of line? No. no. But it's worth the line to share. shot him a look that would kill the – all right, so uh, just talking about what's happening, it looks like uh, Trump's up by about 20 points on on uh, on Ron DeSantis in Iowa. How much is on the line for DeSantis if he doesn't if he doesn't make it a close well, second? Is there a tomorrow? Let, let me just point out that if you look at the RCP average of polls, DeSantis is now in third place. Nikki Haley has got him by 0.2 percentage points. Uh, so if Ron DeSantis finishes third in Iowa and he's right. running fifth in New Hampshire. 
I mean, he's still running third in South Carolina, but if if he if Nikki Haley finishes ahead of him in Iowa, I think it's troubled times for DeSantis because then then he will have done worse than expected in Iowa and then a disaster in New Hampshire. So he's got South Carolina to try to pull out something. But Trump is so far ahead in all of these states. I mean, if you take a look at the potential dynamic that could happen between next Monday and then 13 days from now, as you pointed out, if Nikki Haley does better than expected in Iowa, she beats DeSantis. She's going to carry ahead of momentum into New Hampshire, where one poll, University of New Hampshire, maybe it's an outlier, but they're pretty reliable, has her within striking distance of Trump at like seven points, I think. If she carries ahead of momentum into New Hampshire and can close that gap and maybe even beat Trump, then it becomes a real horse race because that momentum will carry through to South Carolina and to Nevada and contests after that. So if you break down that poll that you're discussing, it's within uh, within single digits. Trump leads Haley by 40 points with conservatives, 37 with registered Republicans. Mm-hmm. But as you know better than most, John, it when that and with New Hampshire, they got just over a million people. And if you're not affiliated, you can choose what, what primary to vote in. And you don't have to do the Democrats because they're not they're they're not. Yeah. They're I mean, what, what, are the, what are the Democrats going to do? Decide decide between Joe Biden and Marianne Williamson. The, the, right. Those are the choices right now. So, so if they want to participate, Trump wins by excuse me. Haley tops Trump by 42 points among moderates. That's if they all were to. Right. Uh, 26, well, who did the, well, I guess who they projected who did the poll. 42% of moderates, 26 points among undeclared voters, and 12 points among college graduates. Yeah, the way it works in New Hampshire is on primary night, you go in, you declare either Democrat or Republican, uh, and you can stay that way through the general election if you want, or on the way out the door, you sign a piece of paper and you go back to undeclared status. So Democrats, if they just wanted to try to mess with things, as David Pluff has suggested they do in New Hampshire, or whether it's a campaign on behalf of Nikki Haley to get Democratic-leaning undeclareds out there, you declare for the Republican Party that night, you vote for whoever you want to, Trump, Haley, DeSantis, Christie, whoever, uh, and then on the way out the door, you sign a piece of paper that says you're going back to undeclared status, and then you can go vote for a Democrat in November. Which big, the bigger question, what do the Democrats want? Do they want Haley? Do they want Trump? And if you want Haley, you, you do not go out and support her in New Hampshire. Excuse me, if you fear Haley. If you think you can beat her easy in the general, which the polls don't indicate you can. Well, Pluff's reasoning was that what what you would do, that Trump inevitably would become the nominee, according to Pluff's calculations. But what you would do is you would extend the primary season longer than three, four weeks, which a lot of people think it will only last. And then that way you damage the Republican Party because there's more infighting, more backbiting, uh, more negative stories about all of the candidates. and, And you can... Try to let Biden get ahead of steam in that process. So I don't think it's a, it, I don't think it's a choice between Haley or Trump. I think it's a choice between a short primary season or a longer primary season. Have you been impressed with Haley? I I think that she has got a lot of the foundation for what it would take to be a good nominee. When you when you take a look at her foreign policy experience, being the UN ambassador, she checks that box. Her navigation of the Confederate flag controversy in South Carolina was really a model in how to approach very, very controversial topics like that. And I think, uh, by and large, uh, people in South Carolina were happy with her tenure as governor. So I think that she could probably be a, a good nominee. I think DeSantis could be a good nominee as as well. And, so, so, and, and, but I think 
still inevitably it's going to be Trump. But we'll see. Um, it's amazing the court cases where Jet Fuel, when they write the story, I don't think any Democrat thought if we indict him, we'll get him the nomination and beat him in the general. I think if they think we're indicted, we'll wound him to the point where it's either going to be a dogfight or he's going to be knocked out. I'll, I'll I don't tell think you, anyone this, will tell you this, that they wanted this. This New York court case, though, looks so unfair that I think it's engendering a lot of sympathy for Donald Trump. I agree. I've been watching it very closely. It is unbelievable. You know, now Letitia James has said, oh, it's not $250 million. It's 370 Why don't you say it's a billion dollars? Yeah, which, by the way, he's not worth, evidently. Uh, so <laughs> You're going to get an email. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, so this is a crazy <laughs> thing, John. This is, this is why you're right. And there's many reasons why you're always right, uh, as your wife will tell me. Uh, there's a reason why you're right here is because there is no insurance company. There's no bank. There's no contractor. There's no victim. There's no victim. This looks like a total attack. And by him going out and giving that those comments after, he dominates the news cycle. And, and here's the thing, too, is and we're going to make this point today on America Reports when we finally get our rundown put back together again, is real estate is fluid in terms of valuations anyways, right? It, you know, location, location, location. What's hot today may not be hot tomorrow. And then you add in the celebrity component to it. What is this celebrity? I want to live in downtown's building. What, what is a celebrity property worth? Yeah. Or if you were to sell Mar-a-Lago now, well, Donald Trump owned it. It's a club. Could we ever zone it back? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But he bought it for $7 million. The Post's wanted – the Post uh, uh, estate wanted $21, 22000000 million. He got it for seven. Right. But th- that's worth at least $100 million now, I would think, when you look at comparable properties in the area, even as a club. If you could turn it back into a private residence with all that land and all those buildings, God, it would be worth a lot of money. Yeah, it just looks ridiculous. Uh, and I think that looks bad. I thought the Alvin Bragg to kick it off. That, one's, that one looks mm-hmm. unbelievably weak, too. So uh, just a quick poll. Trump leads Biden in Michigan. Yeah. We, we, can you believe this? Surprise, surprise, yeah, 47, uh, 39. Oh, wow. Good number. Uh, 47, 29, 11 undecided. This is WDIV. So this is what they worry. But Whitmer beats Trump. So you have Bashir, who's talented. Uh, Whitmer, who evidently is popular, uh, you have you, people think Garen, Gavin Newsom's got a lot of talent. I think his, the problem is his report card. Michelle Obama, who yesterday as much as put up her hand and said, pick me, pick me. You thought that? Yeah, kind of. Well, if you want it, you know, it's there for her. See, here's the thing. It wouldn't happen in the primary process. It would happen to the convention and all holds barred or no holds barred. Sorry. In, in a convention. It could be anybody. Right. Um, you wouldn't have to be a declared candidate. You wouldn't have to be an elected official. A couple it more. could be anybody. All right, uh, John, I'll, I'll, I won't torture you and leave you with the break with me, so I'll ask you now, who's going to be on your show and Sandra between 2 and 4 today? Oh, it's, it's going to be a, a – well, we're going, to, we're going to be talking to Jared Moskowitz, who, of course, was arguing with Comer today about this idea of whether or not he invited Hunter Biden to appear at an open committee hearing. Uh, we're also going to be talking with Jonathan Turley. Kerry Kupak will be with us. We're going to go to a lot of the legalese of where this all goes from here. Exit question. This Georgia case, uh, you're not a lawyer, right? Uh, no. Okay. You, <laughs> I, see, sometimes you see. I did like not it. go to Harvard Law School. But the fact is, there is. A I was. Direct, I was pre-med. So. There, there was a. Um, there was a direct link now with the special prosecutor, the Fannie Willis's alleged boyfriend, and Nathan goes Wade, and goes right to the White House counsel to meet there two separate and build for it. And so it's in black and white. We have not heard from Fannie Willis since she's been accused forty-eight hours ago. Thought that's uh, that's special. Uh, important, and now it looks like the guy that was picked out of the suburbs without much of a reputation to do this was getting over six hundred thousand dollars to do it. Three vacations with her, 
there's a series of things that are unsavory. But when Trump gets on the stump or is on the town hall tonight, is there anything from his accurate from him accurately saying uh, the White House counsel is colluding with this case to take me down? He's he's already said as much. He's already said they always respond with no, no proof. Yeah, but he's he's on the warpath on this. And I think you can expect to hear a lot of that and what will be. A very dynamic town hall tonight. All right, but a very dynamic two to four today with you and Sandra Smith. No, no, one to three. One where, to three. Where have you been? Oh, what am what I thinking? T- yeah. What time zone are you living in? I'm thinking of Are you in Newfoundland? Of, I apologize. Yeah, that is true. I, I'm on Newfoundland time. <laughs> well, that would be an hour and a half ahead. Well, that would be um, Chicago. Could it be Chicago? <laughs> Iceland? Yeah, there you go. Um, my daughter is in Australia, though, which oh, is Oh, really? Just oh landed. Gosh. How do you do the time change when you call her? I have no idea. She just landed. She Dad, it's 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's good for me, actually. Uh, hey, uh, John, thanks so much for coming in. Always great to see you. Always good to be here, and uh, welcome to Washington. I know. And where, I know where nothing ever happens. Right. Nothing at all, unless you're Hunter Biden. What are you still doing in New York? Nothing happens in New York. Exactly. Except we have a lot of illegal immigrants. That story sells itself. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think that uh, that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. Our nation is founded on the rule of come law. Come on, come on. And the premise come that on. the law applies equally to everyone, no matter what your last... Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Point uh, of it order. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, that was Nancy May speaking when Hunter Biden walks in with uh, Abby Lowell, and she was irate. And then Josh Moskowitz or Jared Moskowitz, the congressman from a Democratic congressman, and it seems uh, Jamie Raskin were both prepared to defend with uh, displays and diagrams uh, why Hunter Biden has a right to, to testify publicly. And then he left. When he left, all these reporters, I'm talking about dozens, followed him out of the building, a huge herd, because when, Mary Taylor, uh, when Marjorie Taylor uh, Greene started speaking, he got up and left with his crew. And as he left, here are some of the questions being shouted at Hunter. What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? Hunter, what's your favorite type of crack? Are you on crack today? (laughs) So people were just yelling him about his crack. Okay. Uh, yeah, and there was, just, and of course, uh, Hillary was trying to get some. Hillary Vaughn was trying to get some, get some answers to his questions. So it was just an absolute bizarre scene, and now everybody's covering it. I'm going to give just curious to see uh, the endurance on the coverage throughout the day. Uh, meanwhile, just a quick note coming up on the 21st. You know, Teddy and Booker T is out. Thanks so much for getting it. Also, I'll be on stage uh, in a live show talking about America great from the start, history, fun, reenacting great moments in, in history. Fox Nation will stream it live in Joliet, Illinois. So I want you to go to BrianKillMe.com, get tickets, also VIP opportunities. I'm going to get there the night before, get there nice and early to meet with people before the show, answer all your questions about politics, antics like what happened with Hunter today, uh, different things that are taking place with the illegal immigrants going and taking over a high school because their tent city could have been blown away by a storm, all the breaking news, as well as why history matters. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. And you can watch it stream on Fox Nation at 3 o'clock in the area on Sunday. And then from there, going right to New Hampshire with, with Fox and Friends and the Brian Kilmeade Show.
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.